Section 15 of the Watergate Report, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eric Bjornsson. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 1. 2. 1972 Campaign. A. Political Strategy. The political strategy of the Committee to Re-elect the President in early 1971 and 1972 was unambiguous. Undercut Senator Muskie in the Democratic primaries, divide the Democratic Party so that it could not unite after the convention, and assist where possible in getting the weakest Democratic candidate nominated. The absence of a serious fight for renomination gave the CRP and the White House the luxury of focusing their political efforts during this period on potential Democratic opponents rather than serious primary contenders within their own party. In the meantime, the various Democratic contenders had to concentrate their own political efforts on obtaining their party's nomination. The Nixon strategy was best embodied in a series of political memorandums written by speechwriter Patrick Buchanan and his assistant Ken Kachigian. The early concern with Senator Muskie resulted from a series of public opinion polls in April, May, and June of 1971, which showed Senator Muskie leading both President Nixon and Governor Wallace in a three-way race. Buchanan outlined the Muskie strategy in a lengthy memorandum to President Nixon on March 24, 1971. Buchanan proposed creating a Muskie Watch, an operation working perhaps within the Republican National Committee, which may even be a publicized operation, doing constant research on Ed Muskie and putting out materials to interest groups and to the press. A few months later, Buchanan wrote, Thus, Senator Muskie is target A as of midsummer for our operation. Our specific goals are A, to produce political problems for him right now, B, to hopefully help defeat him in one or more of the primaries, Florida looks now to be the best early bet, California the best later bet, and C, finally, to visit upon him some political wounds that will not only reduce his chances for nomination, but damage him as a candidate should he be nominated. The strategy Buchanan advocated was to force Muskie to take more stands on controversial issues and to have President Nixon attack Muskie on those issues that divide Democrats. The anti-Muskie plan involved much negative campaigning against the senator rather than positive campaigning on behalf of President Nixon. In addition, such a strategy would subject Muskie to the pressures and harassments that go with being a frontrunner, pressures and harassments he is not getting today. In addition, Buchanan advocated concentrating on dividing the Democrats so that they would be unable to unite for the general election. In a July 2, 1971 memo, Buchanan advised, We maintain as guiding political principle that our great hope for 1972 lies in maintaining or exacerbating the deep democratic rift between the elite, chic, new left, intellectual, avant-garde, isolationist, bell-bottomed environmentalist, new priorities types on the one hand, and the hard-hat, Dick Daly, Holy Name Society, ethnic, blue-collar, Knights of Columbus, NYPD, Queens Democrats on the other. The liberal Democrats should be pinioned to their hippie supporters. The Humphrey Democrats should be reminded of how they were the fellows who escalated and cheered the war from its inception. This attack strategy of dividing the opposition was a main tenet of political faith both at the White House and the CRP throughout the 1972 campaign. By April 12, 1972, Buchanan observed, 
Our primary objective to prevent Senator Muskie from sweeping the early primaries, locking up the convention in April, and uniting the Democratic Party behind him for the fall, has been achieved. Further on, in the same memorandum, Buchanan rhetorically raised the question of whom do we want to run against. Buchanan's clear choice was Senator George McGovern. Later in April, Buchanan noted, we must do as little as possible at this time to impede McGovern's rise. The above strategy, while not improper in itself, was ultimately converted by others into the dirty tricks outlined below. The various operatives and agents of the White House and the CRP also had three major objectives in the 1972 campaign, to weaken Senator Muskie, to divide the Democrats, and to nominate the weakest Democratic candidate. The absence of primary opponents for President Nixon allowed his political strategists to target their efforts on the Democrats. The abundance of money in the CRP allowed the political operatives to set up a concerted effort to infiltrate and interfere with the Democratic primaries. The result was a campaign to re-elect President Nixon that was filled with illegal, improper, and unethical activity, much of which is described below. B. Implementation of White House and CRP Strategy 1. Donald Segretti A. Hiring in early 1971, George Strachan and Dwight Chapin, both staff aides in the White House working for H.R. Haldeman, discussed the need for a non-Colson dirty tricks operation in the field for the 1972 campaign. Strachan said that Chapin explained that he and Buchanan had been involved in some 1968 campaign pranks such as a false mailing sent out in the New Hampshire primary, but that it would be a good idea if the operation were moved from the White House in 1972. As a result, a meeting held in the early summer of 1971 among Chapin, Strachan, Buchanan, Kachigian, and Ron Walker, head of White House Advance Operations, to discuss how to structure a political prankster operation in the field for the 1972 campaign. Buchanan testified that he advised the group that it should be a small operation and that because of 1971, it ought to be under the committee to re-elect the president. Strachan and Chapin agreed that Donald Segretti, an old college friend of theirs from USC, would be a good candidate for the job of pulling pranks to disrupt the Democratic presidential primary campaigns. Segretti was first contacted by Dwight Chapin in the spring of 1971 about possible employment following his release from the Army. Segretti at that time expressed some interest in a possible job, since both his friends worked in the White House and since he thought that the job might include exciting work. Segretti stayed in touch with Chapin and Strachan during the next few months and flew to Washington, D.C. to meet with them in late June 1971. Segretti met with Chapin and Strachan twice on this visit, once at dinner at Chapin's house and again the following day at lunch. At these meetings, Strachan and Chapin explained to Segretti that his job would be to perform political pranks that would aid in the re-election of President Nixon. Segretti was given $400 in cash from Gordon Strachan to cover his expenses for this trip. Strachan and Chapin also cautioned Segretti not to discuss this matter with anyone else if he were not interested. But Segretti expressed great interest in the job since it seemed to involve exciting work, and after this meeting he began to contact old friends about the possibility of doing some work for the Nixon campaign. Meanwhile, Strachan and Chapin obtained Haldeman's approval for the project to ensure that Segretti could be paid from leftover 1968 campaign funds. Mr. Haldeman specifically approved having a person in the field to disrupt the Democratic primary campaigns and specifically approved the hiring of Mr. Segretti. In late August 1971, 
Haldeman and Strachan met with Herbert Kalmbach. Strachan testified that Haldeman directed Kalmbach to pay the salary and expenses of Segretti. Strachan then told Segretti to contact Herbert Kalmbach in Newport Beach, California for the purpose of finalizing his employment. Segretti met Kalmbach in late August 1971 and was offered a salary of $16,000 a year plus expenses for his activities. Segretti said he was not sure if he was to be working for Mr. Kalmbach, Mr. Chapin, or others. Following his meeting with Kalmbach, Segretti had lunch with Dwight Chapin not far from the Western White House in San Clemente, California. During this meeting, Chapin gave Segretti a list of cities and states on which to concentrate in the upcoming presidential primary campaigns. Segretti said that Chapin stressed to him the secrecy of his duties, and said that his activities would be focused on fostering a split among the various Democratic candidates to prevent the Democratic Party from uniting behind one candidate after the convention. Chapin also emphasized to Segretti the importance of having media impact in Segretti's activities. For example, Segretti said Chapin suggested that he have pickets with Humphrey signs at Muskie rallies. Segretti said Chapin also suggested putting out phony press releases. Chapin emphasized to Segretti that he should focus his efforts on Senator Edmund Muskie, the Democratic frontrunner at that time. Segretti said that Chapin further explained that his objective should be to give the president his best chance for re-election in November 1972 by seriously weakening the leading Democratic candidate, Senator Edmund Muskie. If that could be accomplished, the Democrats would have a bitter fight over the nomination and would never be able to recover in time for the general election. The alternative objective of Segretti's activities was to divide the Democratic candidates among themselves to create bitterness and mistrust among the Democrats. Following this meeting with Chapin in California, Segretti began contacting old friends of his in California and elsewhere about doing political work in the upcoming campaign. After his release from the Army on September 13, 1971, Segretti received a telephone call from Dwight Chapin. Chapin informed Segretti that Strachan would no longer be involved in the operation. Chapin also explained to Segretti that they would leave messages for one another under the aliases of Don Morris for Segretti and Bob Duane for Chapin. At Chapin's request, Segretti flew to Washington, D.C. and met Chapin in the dining room of the Hay Adams. At that meeting, Chapin suggested to Segretti that he get both a post office box where he could receive mail from Chapin and an answering service so that he could be reached at all times. In addition, Segretti said Chapin gave him a list of the 1968 advancement from Nixon's presidential campaign so that Segretti could begin making contacts in the appropriate primary states. Segretti testified that Chapin stressed he should not say or do anything which would link his activities to Chapin, the White House, the Republican Party, or the committee to re-elect the president. Chapin also gave Segretti the name of Ward Turnquist, an old high school friend of Chapin's as a possible contact in Southern California. Chapin directed Segretti to fly to Portland, Oregon the following day, preceding the president's visit there, to observe a presidential advance. Segretti flew to Portland on September 24, 1971, and stayed at the Benson Hotel. There, he was able to familiarize himself with the advance operation and the means used to handle demonstrators. On the morning of Sunday, September 26th, Segretti met with Chapin in Segretti's room at the hotel. At that time, Chapin gave Segretti a copy of the advancement's manual, and they had further general discussions about Segretti's activities. After his meeting with Chapin, Segretti returned to Los Angeles and received his first payment from Kalmbach, a check for $5,000 as an advance on his expenses, and a check for $667 for his two-week salary. Following the presidential appearance in Portland, 
Chapin wrote Segretti a memorandum which said, From now on, we want to have at least one Muskie sign in among demonstrators who are demonstrating against the president. It should be Muskie for president and should be held in a location so that it is clearly visible. At Muskie events or events by other Democratic hopefuls, there should be a sign or two which goads them. For example, at a Muskie rally, there should be a large, why not a black vice president? Or perhaps we prefer Humphrey or something else that would goad him along. At Humphrey rallies, there should be Muskie signs, and at Kennedy rallies, there should be Muskie or Humphrey signs, and so on. These signs should be well-placed in relationship to the press area so that a picture is easy to get. B. Activities 1. Summary After his meeting with Dwight Chapin at the Benson Hotel in Portland, Segretti set off across the country to recruit individuals to infiltrate and disrupt the upcoming Democratic presidential primaries. Segretti traveled to more than 16 states and contacted at least 80 individuals in his efforts to establish an organization that was capable of dividing the Democrats during their primaries. Segretti received $45,336 from Herbert Kalmbach in the period from September 29, 1971 until March 23, 1972. Of this total, Segretti had expenses of more than $22,000, and almost $9,000 of these expenses went to 22 individuals that Segretti had contacted during his travels. Segretti's objective in making contacts was to organize a network of agents in the following states, New Hampshire, Florida, Illinois, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, California, New Jersey, New York, and Texas. Almost all of these states had presidential primaries in 1972, and they were listed for Segretti when he met with Chapin at San Clemente in the late summer. 2. Relationship with Chapin During the early period of his travels, Segretti kept in fairly close contact with Dwight Chapin. For example, Segretti called Chapin 33 times in November, December, and January. Segretti used the pseudonyms of Don Durham and Don Simmons since Chapin had strongly advised to him to maintain secrecy in his operation and to divorce totally the White House and his activities. During these first few months' activities, Segretti occasionally received information and directions from Chapin. For example, Chapin informed Segretti when Senator Muskie would be in Los Angeles in November 1971, and asked him to line up some pickets for the appearance. Later on, Segretti said he was told by Chapin that Senator Muskie would be appearing at Whittier College, and was asked by Chapin to provide pickets and hecklers in the crowd. A few days later, Segretti arranged for pickets outside of a San Francisco hotel where Senators Muskie and Humphrey were appearing at a Democratic dinner. Following Senator Muskie's appearance at Whittier College in November 1971, Segretti received in the mail a copy of the White House news summary from Chapin, which said, Reynolds said that he, Muskie, had come prepared for conservative questions, but the Chicanos gave him no chance and Big Ed proved that he can keep his cool. Penciled in on the side of the copy is a note from Chapin which reads, Note we really missed the boat on this. Obviously the press now wants to prove E.M. can keep his temper. Let's prove he can't. In early November 1971, Chapin instructed Segretti to travel to New Hampshire and begin work since it was the first primary state. Chapin also gave Segretti the name of Alan Walker, chairman of the New Hampshire Committee to re-elect the president. Segretti said that Walker seemed very receptive to his ideas, and that he felt so much at ease with Walker that he gave him his true name. Shortly thereafter, Segretti received a phone call from Dwight Chapin who told him to leave New Hampshire immediately. 
Segretti traveled to Washington and met with Chapin in Segretti's hotel room. Chapin told Segretti to stay out of New Hampshire, move on to Florida, and never again use his real name. Chapin had general knowledge of much of Segretti's activities. Segretti testified that most of the literature, bumper stickers, and false letters that were distributed by Segretti were sent to Chapin's home in Washington after they were printed up. In addition, Segretti sent newspaper clippings to Chapin concerning his field activities as well as handwritten notes explaining his activities of the previous week. Chapin's reactions to Segretti's activities were always very positive, and Segretti has no recollection of the issue of the legality of Segretti's activities ever being discussed with Chapin. Segretti specifically recalls sending Chapin the Muskie busing poster, the sex smear letter on Muskie stationery against Senators Jackson and Humphrey, and the Humphrey press release about Shirley Chrisholm, all discussed below. During the months of December, January, and February, Segretti raised many doubts in the minds of people that he was recruiting. Many of these individuals, young Republicans, college Republicans, and young voters for the president, relayed messages back to Bart Porter, Tom Bell, and Ken Reitz at the CRP, who in turn sent the messages on to Jeb Magruder. Generally, the complaints were that there was an individual in the field who was causing serious problems for the committee to re-elect the president. Such a complaint was sent from J. Tim Grass of Madison, Wisconsin, to Carl Rove, president-elect of the College Republicans. This complaint was eventually assigned to Anthony Ulasowicz, who flew out to Wisconsin to investigate this mysterious individual. Ulasowicz did not succeed in tracking down Zagretti, but while he was out in Wisconsin, he received a call from Jack Caulfield, who informed him that Segretti worked for CRP. Many of these complaints about Segretti were sent to Magruder, who wrote a memorandum to John Mitchell in January 1972 entitled Matter of Potential Embarrassment, in which he described this individual in the field and urged that the individual should be placed under the direction of G. Gordon Liddy. After receiving a copy of that memorandum, H.R. Haldeman told Gordon Strachan to call Segretti to tell him to expect a call from Liddy, who would give him instructions in the future. This memorandum, describing the matter of potential embarrassment, was shredded following the Watergate break-in by Strachan and Haldeman's directions, according to Strachan's testimony. Segretti was told by Dwight Chapin in either a phone call or at their meeting in Washington on January 20, 1972, that some people in Washington had been disturbed by some of the problems that Segretti had caused in New Hampshire and Wisconsin. Chapin told Segretti to expect a call from an individual who would be checking up on his activities. 3. Relationship with Hunt and Liddy In late January 1972, Liddy told Howard Hunt that a Democrat was trying to infiltrate Republican headquarters in some of the primary states in the upcoming campaign. Liddy sent out a communique to all the state committees to re-elect the president headquarters with the individual's description in an effort to find the person who was engaging in these counterproductive activities. Four or five days later, Liddy came back to Hunt and said that he had stepped on some toes since the individual really worked for the committee to re-elect the president. Shortly thereafter, Liddy told Hunt that he had been asked to evaluate Segretti's work by the people for whom Segretti was working. Hunt also testified that Liddy told him that Segretti's principals wanted Hunt and Liddy to keep tabs on this individual as well as to provide assistance if it did not hazard their own operations. A few days after his conversations with Chapin, Segretti received a call in California from an Ed Warren, Howard Hunt, who asked to meet with Segretti as soon as possible. On February 11, 1972, Segretti traveled to Miami, and on the following day, two men came to Segretti's motel room to meet him. 
They introduced themselves as Ed Warren and George Leonard. Hunt immediately turned on the television set in Segretti's room to prevent surreptitious taping of the meeting. Segretti explained to Hunt and Liddy that his activities consisted primarily of providing pickets at appearances by opposition candidates and distributing bogus pamphlets and leaflets that can embarrass the Democrats. Hunt and Liddy advised Segretti to use false identification, but they never provided any for him. In addition, Hunt provided Segretti with the name of Jose Ariola to do Segretti's printing in the Miami area. Segretti explained that he was having some difficulty in obtaining Senator Muskie's schedules, and so Hunt agreed to furnish this information to Segretti. In addition, Hunt gave Segretti his telephone number and told him to keep in touch. After this initial meeting of 10 to 15 minutes, Segretti maintained sporadic contact with Hunt. Occasionally, Hunt would make suggestions to Segretti about possible activities. Some of these suggestions are listed below in the pages describing specific activities carried out by Segretti and his associates. Segretti's last meeting with Howard Hunt was on June 9, 1972 at the Sheraton Foreign Ambassadors Hotel in Miami, Florida. At this meeting, Hunt suggested that Segretti put together a group of peaceful demonstrators to pick at the Doral Hotel during the Democratic Convention. Hunt explained that another group of unruly demonstrators was to join in the demonstration and attempt to disrupt it, and that the bad conduct of the crowd would be blamed on Senator McGovern. However, the Watergate break-in occurred on June 17, 1972, and any plans for the convention by E. Howard Hunt were temporarily quashed. End of section 15